0: I think, I think these lyrics are actually capture the uh, stress and strain of Christmas probably more honestly than a lot of the other songs that we, we sing this time of year. In fact, just a couple lines later, if we had let it keep going, I couldn't bear it, but it said this. Because I've grown a little colder, I've grown a little sadder, grown a little older. And not that just ring with festive cheer? It's like, yes, Jesus is born! get up the holly now. Um, if we're honest, I think a lot of us, when it comes near the holidays, uh, a lot of us start to feel this way. I know your kids, you know, go crazy. They, they love it. But some of you, um, it's, it's kind of the opposite feeling. We get, we get so caught up in the holidays, in, in the hauling out the holly as fast as we can. And, you know, we've got to make our house look at least as good as most of the neighbors around us on our street uh, look, you know, fill up the stockings, hit those Black Friday sales. But here's the thing, you know, as Christians, we don't need a little Christmas. We need Christ. Amen? We need Christ. And, and I'm not talking about the, the, the you know we all say we all to give that a lot of lip service. we all say, "Ah, we need more Christ, put Christ back on Christmas you know and then we yell at the poor girl at Walmart' because she said happy holidays or something like that <laughs> you know as as we're like pushing our way through the line with all of our packages you know to get in on the sale, you know celebrate Christmas with me now, Jesus is born um, <laughs> um, and and I don't really blame people you know for 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 that you know that 's kind of a a, a cause uh but I think what it is, it's kind of a, a, a misguided expression of an inner frustration that a lot of people feel and a lot of Christians feel. Um, and we don't really know how to put our finger on it or how to solve it, and so, and so we yell at the poor checkout girl. Um, but this year, this year, I got to thinking about this, and I was like, Lord, I don't want this to be the same kind of year as every other year. I've decided to do something different. Me and my family, my family and I, we've decided... We're not going to miss Christ this year. We're not, we're not going to miss Christ this Christmas. We're not going to lose sight of what Christmas is all about. Here, here's a sobering reality, is that on the very first Christmas day, 2,000 or so years ago, almost everybody on the planet missed it. Almost everybody missed it, right? A tiny handful of people missed God coming to the earth, right? The infinite becoming human. And and so many people missed it. They missed the wonder and the awe of God with us, God beside us. God is one of us. Of all the people alive on the earth at the time, just a handful of people were paying attention. Everyone else missed it. So this year, we got to thinking, we want to do something different. We want to help each other slow down. We want to breathe deep. We don't want to rush by Christmas. And what if instead of just being bystanders to the manger scene, people who were walking by that manger probably that very night had no idea what was going on in there, spectators of the story, what if we entered into it to experience the story together? Today, we're starting a series called Advent Conspiracy. Advent Conspiracy to help us do just that. And, and we're, what we're doing is, it's kind of cool. We're joining with hundreds of other churches that have kind of been doing this campaign for the last few years. Uh, other churches, and, and we're joining together to conspire, right? We're going to be conspirators this year. We're going to conspire to take back Christmas from what it has become and return it to what it was meant to be. And what this means is it's not about yelling at the checkout girl because she said happy holidays. Actually, it's about looking at our own hearts this Christmas and saying, what, what, what am I doing to, to send the wrong message about Christmas? What am I doing to recognize the real meaning of Christmas? And here's a little promo video of what this series is going to be about, says it better than I can, so just watch this for a little bit. Conspiring together to take back Christmas from, from what it has become to what it was designed to be. It was designed to be a time of celebration and worship of the Lord Jesus, right? And uh, and we're going to explore what it means in our church, and in our homes uh, to worship the Lord fully, to to buy a little less. I'm not saying don't buy any presents, just buy less, give more, and love everybody. Uh, and it's, I think it's going to be a revolutionary concept, um, and and we're going to learn how to do this. Uh, what we have, and this is, we're coming at this from all angles, uh, we got together, and our kids ministry is getting involved in this, and we've got some handouts. Your kids are getting a handout today. This is a little family guide. They're going to get a different one of these every week, uh, but it's, it's just a great little guide. You can take home. Be sure you take it home. It's got some great ideas for how to have some... Family devotional, some scriptures you can read together, some topics you can discuss about this, little projects you can do together, arts and craftsy stuff. Uh, it's a great way to get the whole family involved in this because because it is something that you know you need your kids on board too. If you've got kids, you need them on board to understand why are we doing this. Well, so why am I getting you know three presents instead of fourteen this year? You know, or something. You know, they might want to you might want to get some buy-in. Um, but uh, and then, then we got something else here that's pretty cool uh, we, we've put together for you guys. And this is for all you adults. It's it's an Advent Conspiracy Bible reading plan. It's just a great little way. It's a little help uh, so that you can use. It every, every day it has a, a scripture reading. You can do this by yourself or with your family or however you want to do it. But we can all be reading through the Bible. Not the whole Bible. Just be reading through some of the, uh, especially the Christmas stories and some of the prophecies and things like that. I think that will be a great help to you. These are in the both of the foyers all over the place. You can find them. You'll find a stack of those. So, now... Let's get into this. So, so when you hear the words Advent conspiracy, those are kind of strange words, right? You may be asking, what kind of series is, title is that? Uh, let, me, let me briefly explain what we mean by some of these words, because uh, some people may not know uh, what some of these things mean. The word Advent, if, if you uh, don't come from a tradition that put, you know, did a lot of things about Advent, Advent is a version of a Latin word. It simply means coming. The coming. And uh, Advent historically refers to uh, a four week period that leads up to Christmas that's set aside for prayer. And it's a time of, of contemplation, of prayer, of preparation. Uh, and, and one of the overriding themes of Advent is anticipation. It's, you know, all, you know, that time for your, where your kids are asking, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? That, that feeling, that's the anticipation that we can all feel again. And this is the season they celebrate it. Um, you know, I know, right, you know, it feels like we're fixing to get into the Christmas holidays. You know, back in the olden days, uh, back when great lizards roamed the earth or whatever, they, they, Christmas, you know when Christmas started, the Christmas season? On Christmas. <laughs> Imagine that. Christmas actually started on Christmas. You remember the 12 days of Christmas, the little song? That Christmas day was was day one. And uh, and then the season that preceded it throughout December was Advent. Well, uh, Advent uh, doesn't make as much money, and so we've sort of pushed Advent out of the way and enlarged Christmas to take up uh, not only the, the beginning of January, but the most of December and the end of November, right? And so that is that is what Advent is. It's, it's meant, to it's a time to slow down, to think, to reorient our minds, recalibrate our minds uh, toward the coming of Christ, to focus intentionally on Christ. So we think of these, you can think of these next four weeks as kind of a spiritual journey of sorts. So now, with the other word, the word conspiracy, why that word? Uh, Typically, when we think of conspiracy, that word, we think of all kinds of, of weird, spooky stuff, right? You hear the word conspiracy. You think about who shot JFK, right? What's going on at Roswell? You know, what's, what did they find there, right? What's really in a veggie burger? These things. There's spooky, <laughs> weird stuff nobody, nobody knows. It's a conspiracy. Um, and, and that's what we think about. But the word conspiracy is actually a lot more nuanced than that. Did you know it means two things? The word conspiracy means to subvert an established system. Oh, we are all about that, right? (laughs) To subvert an established system and to act in harmony toward a common end. We are part of a conspiracy of people. We are acting in harmony toward a common end. And we'll get to what that common end is today. See, I think this definition is really fitting for us in this series. The the Christmas story itself, when you think about it, when you read it fresh, with fresh eyes, it was a very countercultural subversion of the empire of the day and the systems of its day. The Christmas story was a subversion, right? Christ followers, we come from a long line of conspirators, right? Jesus came to turn the world upside down with a revolution of love and grace and peace. Right? That's very countercultural stuff today. The story of Christ's birth is is a subversive story of, of it's a promise of hope and love, and it's still changing the world to this very day, right? In, in the in parts of the world where Christianity is under the most oppression, it is thriving the greatest, because you can't, you can't put it down, right? It is a subversive story. It thrives the most when you try to bottle it up. So, so that's, what, that's the story that we live in. And somehow something has happened along the way, right? What's what 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 once was a time of of celebrating the birth of a savior has somehow turned into a season of of stress, of of shopping lists and traffic jams, to-do lists. Gotta get here, gotta get there, gotta get there. Gotta, 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 right? And when it's over, what are we left with? Presents to return. You know, that ugly sweater that didn't fit. We're left with uh, debt that's going to take months to pay off, if not years. And this empty feeling that somehow something's missing. This This can't be it. This can't be all there is. But what if we acted together to make things different starting this year? What if you don't wait for the season to just feel different? What if you could do something to make this season different this year? We, what if we changed our focus from buying more presents to seeking His presence, from worry to worship? What if we changed our focus? I think something would happen. In, in the book called The Advent Conspiracy that, that I, I read in prepping for this series, it's, um, it's called The Advent Conspiracy, Can Christmas Still Change the World? It was written by three pastors, uh, Rick McKinley, Chris C., and uh, Greg Holder. They authored this book and and they say this in the book, our hearts are formed by what we worship. I want us to think about that for a second. Our hearts are formed by what we worship. So what do we worship during Advent? Well, the right answer is Jesus, right? That's the right answer. But is that the true answer? Is that what we worship? Because there is a way to tell what it is we're, tr- we're really worshiping. What are we most consumed with? See, the things that we desire end up being the things that we end up worshiping. The things we desire are the things we end up worshiping. So, Advent forces us to take a close look at at what we really desire and what really matters. That's what it does for us. So, what if we committed this year? To not being so overwhelmed by the noise of Christmas, so much that we we miss Christmas itself don 't be overwhelmed by the noise. What if we committed to actually experiencing the wonder of God with us, the wonder of God beside us around us? God as one of us, He became one of us let 's not let 's not stress, let stress and busyness call the shots this year let 's slow down. What if we slowed down, breathe deeply. Not rush by the nativity, but worship fully the Savior that is born. And that's what we're talking about today. Today is about worshiping fully. Now, I realize it might seem a little early to start talking about Christmas. Right? I can feel some of you are like, I, I, this is too early. I don't like to talk, talking about this stuff this early. But here's, here's the thing. If, if we wait until Christmas to talk about it, it'll be too late. And, and this won't help you until next year. So I want to get a head start. I want to get a head start because the world out there is not waiting. They're not waiting. They're going to bombard you. They've already started. You've already got the ads in the, in the you already got the, the junk emails. You're getting the junk mail. You're getting, you're seeing the ads on television. They're not waiting. So we can't wait to to make this decision. The, this morning we're going to look at several people involved in that first Advent 2,000 years ago. We're going to see how their encounter with that newborn king led to one overwhelming response, and that response is worship. Worship. So let's look. The first one we're going to look at, we're going to, let's try to see through the eyes of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, all right? Now, Mary's a teenage girl. Uh, Scholars believe she's probably no more than like 15 years old, and uh, I know that seems kind of young, uh, but that's how they rolled in the year zero. Um, she's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who seems like he's a fine, upstanding young man. And in Luke chapter one, she's visited by an angel, no biggie, like we all are, um, you know, who explains to her that uh, she's going to give birth to a son and, and that his name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to be a child who will one day be king over every nation and whose kingdom will never end. Okay. Imagine getting that memo. You're 15 years old. And now understand Mary is not only young. She's also poor. She has next to no social status. Um, she's from a city nobody cares about. And, and when she asks the angel. She asks one question. How is all this going to happen? He explains that the baby will be conceived through the Holy Spirit. Okay, right? (laughs) Now, time out for a second, because let's not rush past this. This has never happened before. This is part of our sweet little story we've told a hundred times, but this is not a story she's ever heard before. This baby's going to be born by the Holy Spirit. And this is easy to miss, but imagine getting that news. You're, You're in your house, you're minding your own business, you know, you're just like, you're doing a little Sudoku or something before dinner, and there he is, you know, big glowing angel appears and the first words out of his mouth are, don't be afraid, <laughs> right? Okay, thanks for that advice, big glowing figure in my house, right? Don't be afraid. And Mary knows something else to be in this day and age in that day and age to be pregnant out of wedlock is beyond shameful in her village. It, would, it could be a death sentence. This is a big big deal. It could bring shame to her family. It would certainly bring shame to her future husband. So I can only imagine the the worry and the anxiety that a normal person would feel like. And she only comes out with one question. How can this be? Because I ain't ever been with a man. And the angel says, it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's her response? Okay, let's do this. Right? And she breaks out into this incredible song of praise. It's a song that's become legendary. It's known as the Magnificat. Here's just the first few verses of it. In Luke 1, verses 46, it says, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I remember Mary's not some girl who's born into a nice, wealthy family. So all this, you know, everything's going to work out just fine. This is great news, you know. She's she's not born into a peaceful time. Um, you know, or a time where she has everything she wants. She's born into a land that is occupied by the Roman. Empire under the cruel thumb of a psychotic dictator in a very, very religious society. And she's part of a culture that that deals very extremely with unwed teenage mothers. But in the midst of the stress of this unknown, Mary chooses worship. She chooses worship. I'm I'm talking to some of you today. In the midst of all of this, she chooses worship. This communicates a very profound truth for us today, and that is this: that even in the midst of our most troubling circumstances, we can choose worship. And for a lot of people today, this is, this is a crazy time. In, on so many levels, we can choose worship, we can choose. Worship. And worship isn't just about a Sunday gathering. Sometimes we, we hear the word worship, and, you know, we instantly think of singing, right? That was the worship part of the service. But, you know, this is worship. Everything we do is worship. Giving is part of worship. <coughs> Excuse me. Worship is a choice. And that's something we really want to get across to. There's your tweetable moment right there. Worship is a choice. We are all choosing to place something on the throne of our hearts. Louis Giglio said that, that we all have something on the throne of our hearts that we worship. And you may be, and you may be thinking, no, I don't worship anything. You know, I'm, I'm my own boss. I don't worship anything. Well, you have some, something on the throne of your heart, and it's your ego. We all have something on the throne of our hearts that we worship. It's not a question of if we are worshiping, it's a question of what we're worshiping. It's a question of what we're worshiping. So we all have to ask that question. The Psalms are filled with accounts of individuals choosing to worship. So many of those Psalms, individuals choosing to worship in the midst of worry, in the midst of pain, of uncertainty, in the New Testament, the church became famous. I mean, that was one of their calling cards was that they were famous for having the capacity to worship in the midst of incredible persecution, in the midst of all their hardship and worry. And that's important because worry does not disqualify us from worship. Hear that again. Worry does not disqualify you from worship. So so you and I, our lives, you know, we may not, they might have not have gone completely according to plan. If your life hasn't gone completely according to plan, welcome to the 99% club, right? That's, that's most of us. Lives don't go completely according to plan. If they don't look precisely as you had hoped, that's okay. We can choose to worship in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of fear. <clears throat> that can be your story today. You can, you can find ways to, to give praise to God. And it, it takes intentionality, right? You have to find those ways. You have to decide to do it. It's a decision. It's a choice. Will you worship the God who loved you enough to send his son for you? Don't allow your circumstances to rule you. Instead, worship God. Worship God. Hallelujah. Y'all, excuse me. I've had a little cold this week, so I'm not trying to be rude and, like, just pop Lifesavers. at got a little lozenge here. Um, now, okay, second persons. Let's, let's look, as we pause and enter this story of Christmas, we also find someone else. We find the shepherds. The shepherd, now this is kind of an, an amazing that we find them here. Shepherds had probably the original dirty job. You, you guys remember that show with micro Dirty Jobs? Yeah, these, this was like the original dirty job. I love that show. He's always like knee deep in something slimy, uh, and this was them. Man, this, this was them. Shepherding may have been the most, the worst job you could get back then. These guys moved around from place to place. They were always on the move. They never really had a sort of home, and so they lived apart from normal society. They were kind of the original migrant workers. And, and they were always on duty to protect the sheep from the wolves, right? And when do wolves wake up and walk around? Nighttime, right? So these ha- they had the night shift. So these are migrant workers with the night shift working with sheep. Um, and they faced danger at every turn. They were not well compensated for. It was one of the lowest paying jobs you could get. And on top of that, Shepherding, it turns out, I was reading about it, and they said it was mainly the job of solitary males without children, without families or children, so single dudes, right? That's what that's what shepherding is. Um, and and you got to think, you know, there wasn't like Facebook groups they could go to. Like, they're not laying there at night, like on their iPhone, checking how is it going. I'm shepherding up in Gethsemane. Sure, I'm lonely. <laughs> They didn't have any of that. There wasn't like a group online they could join or something like that. There was no like shepherding chat rooms they could hop on. Uh, It it was kind of the, it was no easy job. And these were, were guys who probably had very little choice. And if they lost this job, there was probably nothing between them and just begging on the street. So this was kind of the last resort. Now imagine if Christ's birth had happened today. Imagine the people in our society, with, with the dirtiest jobs, with the least glamorous jobs, the most undesirable jobs in our society. Those people who live on the fringes, disconnected from society, the ones who are often alone, the ones you see maybe at a red light, they're on the, the curb selling something. Those guys, no, no one would expect them to play a prominent role in the Christmas story, Right? But they play a huge role. Here are the shepherds with all sorts of undesirable responsibilities. And let's look at what happens with them. In Luke chapter 2, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, here we go again, be not afraid. Everybody gets scared when the angel shows up, right? Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can you imagine this scene? I've thought about this so many times. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Just what a glorious scene to see this. And there's some amazing things happening here, but I I want us to focus on the shepherd's response to all this in verse 15. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. It doesn't tell us that they like, did something with the sheep or dropped it off at the sheep kennel or anything. They just, they took off. It says, and when they had seen him, what did they do? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just, which were just as they had been told. What a beautiful story! Now, notice the shepherds weren't necessarily told to go find Jesus. The angel just announced the news, but they decided to go anyway. They decided to drop everything and go see Jesus. They left everything behind. They left their tasks behind, their responsibilities behind. They set everything aside. To go pursue Jesus. They, they chose to come and worship the Savior, and, and they chose to come and, and join this little community that's gathering around this Savior, those huddled around the manger in, in a stable in Bethlehem. So, what does this say to us? Look, we, we all feel the weight of responsibilities. We all have things that we have to do and and the pressure of tasks that have to get done and the lists that get made, especially in a season like this, especially in a season like this. And it can feel dangerous. It can feel downright uh, wrong or irresponsible to step away from responsibilities, doesn't it? Believe me, if you make a commitment to this, this adamant conspiracy, you will encounter friends and family who not only think you're nuts They will be offended that you are not joining them in the insanity. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So be prepared. The shepherds took a step of faith, and they experienced something that that just took their breath away. And and they found this king who offered a new vision for their lives. They stepped away from that isolation of being a shepherd, of their busyness, because busyness isolates us. And they chose to worship in community. So here's something we we learn from the shepherds. Even in the midst of our responsibilities, even in the midst of our busyness, we can choose worship. We too, just like those shepherds, we can choose worship. We don't have to miss Christmas this year. Remember, worship is a choice, right? It's a choice. And the choice is always in front of us. Will you choose to join with your community and worship the king? Well, the story continues. Let's look at, at one more today. And this is, now this is sometime later, uh, the Magi show up. The picture that we have here is kind of a mashup of time and space. The The truth is uh, the Bible gives us hints that Jesus was probably up to as much as two years old uh, when the, the Magi finally arrived. Uh, But these guys are the wise men, sometimes they're called. They were some interesting characters that uh, we don't know a whole lot about. Some historians say they were high priests from a far-off land to the east. Some say they were astrologers. Uh, Some historians even call them kings. You know the song, We Three Kings? Uh, What we do know is that these guys were high rollers, right? Right? These guys had style. These guys dressed like Dave Paddington and drove cars like Dale Morris. <laughs> right? They were styling. They looked good when they arrived. Um, that's, that's who we're dealing with. And uh, so, uh, 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 where am I? I lost my place here. <laughs> what we do know is that wherever they're from, all we know is from the east, from the east, um, they saw Jesus, they saw the star, and they started on this long journey. They left everything behind, started on this long journey to Jerusalem to find this new king. But while they were in Jerusalem, they met another king named Herod. And this is what so often happens. When you start pursuing the true king, there's going to be another king of this world, it tries to get in your way. Let's read what happens in Matthew 2. Herod asks these guys, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Oh, they they asked Herod, I'm sorry. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, Herod, hears this news, he tries to play it cool, right? But he is none too pleased at all. And inside, he's rather freaked out. And he calls the wives, wise men to meet with him in private and he asks them to let him know when they find this new king so that he too can come worship him. Um, And and we all know Herod has no intentions of bowing to this new king. He wants to kill him. But Matthew continues the story in verse 9. After they had heard the king, Herod, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They returned to their country by another route. After finding Jesus, these wise men were left with a choice. And it's a choice that we face every day. They were stuck between two kings, two kingdoms. On one hand, it's the kingdom of Herod, the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of power, a kingdom of riches. It's a kingdom that could set them up with a lot of wealth or could very well destroy them if they cross it. On the other hand, there's a child who was born in a manger. Thankfully, they chose wisely, right? They recognized which of these kingdoms represents true greatness, and they chose to worship Jesus with the very best that they have. They brought Him gifts, and they honored Him with their gifts, and they declared that He was the true King, and they sacrificed. In doing all this, they sacrificed their time, they sacrificed their treasure, and what's most amazing is they sacrificed their loyalty to kings of the earth in favor of the true King of the everlasting kingdom. They were presented with a choice of worship. We stand between two kingdoms every single day. you have got the kingdom that we live in, our culture, our economy, all of this, the powers that be. And we've got the kingdom of heaven that we're called to be ambassadors to and to tell other people about. And every day we have a choice. Which, which is the king that we're gonna yell about loudest? Will we bow down and worship the kingdom of consumerism of individuality the kingdom of the American dream or are we going to worship the true king because the magi show us that even in the midst of pressure to embrace the powers of this world in all of its ways we can choose worship we can choose worship in a in just a few weeks we're gonna you and I are going to have the opportunity to honor Jesus, with our gifts too, uh, with our annual Christmas offering for Jesus, we we love doing this every single year, and it's an offering that we receive every year. That a hundred percent of the offering, it goes to other people, it goes to other places far away, people who are not us. It doesn't go to paying the light bill or buying new chairs. It doesn't go to any of that. It goes to people who are not us, people who can never ever repay us in any way. It's not for our church. It's for others. It's for people in little villages all over the world who can never pay us back. We get to build churches in places that have never had a church. We get to buy presents for orphans who've never had a mom. We get the honor of doing this, of, of giving, just like these wise men did. And, and it's, really, it's really pretty cool. By you and I, just choosing to buy one less ugly sweater that won't fit, that nobody wants, and instead giving some of that money to what Jesus wants most on his birthday. It's his birthday. What does he want? Souls. He loves people. He loves the least of these. That's what he wants for his birthday. And so you can... Buy me one less ugly sweater and put that money into what Jesus wants. And we're both going to be really, really happy about that, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. We, that's a way that we, we get to enter into the Christmas story and worship him fully. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Advent is all about. Amen? Amen. Well, you know what? This is, I know it's been a crazy year. Uh, so how, how do we recalibrate our souls? We recalibrate our souls by pausing, by taking a breath, and and saying, what if I stopped acting like a bystander to the nativity and I entered the story as a participant? What if I could participate in this story? Here's what I think. I think the choice is ours because it's all about choice here. We can we can choose to sort of sleepwalk through this holiday again like a zombie like we do every year, or we can choose to to worship him fully with our eyes wide open. Just like Mary, we have the question, will we worship our Lord even in the midst of troubling times? Like those shepherds, will we worship him even in the midst of all of our busyness, all of those responsibilities that we have, all those sheep on the hill that we're supposed to be watching? Like the magi, magi, will we worship him in the face of pressure to embrace the powers of this world and its ways? I I suggest, my friends, my sisters and brothers, let's let's conspire. Let's conspire together to not miss Christmas this year. Let's be fully aware of every decision that lies before us. Let's choose wisely. Let us conspire to worship fully. Amen? Amen.